Okay. I believe we are all here. Thank you all for coming. Um, today, this is um, the last of the um, Beauty and Messiness on the Sadako's Journey series that I will be um, hosting. Um, thankfully, Archness City is going to take over again um, next week. So today, we have the good fortune. I'm very excited to have Brigupad Prabhu here. Um, Brigupad Prabhu, um, as most of you know, um, he's been giving several classes. He gave really nice uh, series on Manashiksha, on Yoga Sutra, um, recently, just the other day. Um, on Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the life of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Um, and I've always appreciated him as a um, kind of the devotee that I would like to be a discriminating yet um, deeply devotional person. Um, and so I will start by just leading, um, reading a little bit of his bio that he sent. Um, so Brigupad Das was born in 1973 in an academic middle-class family in Turku. Yep. Finland. He came in contact with Krishna consciousness in his teens, moving into the Helsinki temple in 1992. He has been practicing Krishna consciousness since then with little success, he says, even after having come in contact with Guru Maharaj around the year 2000. By Krishna's and Guru's grace, he is married to the artist Saragrahi Dasi, and they have a beautiful and talented daughter, Radha, and a fun dog named Frodo. Brigu lives in Turku and works at the local university teaching religious studies. Jai. Welcome, Brigupad Prabhu. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, starting from there, as as is generally our um, kind of format, we're discussing the um, the heroic journey of a sadhaka. So, um, we'd like to hear today about your life. Um, starting with, do you feel like there were any significant events in your early life? Um, tell us about your your early life. Mm. Thank you. Yes, I do feel there are some some significant events, and uh, and I think it's one of the things maybe you start to realize when you get a little bit older, coming into to the middle part of life, that you start to realize how much in your life really is dependent on, on your background. When I was young, I was thinking that mm -hmm. the world is open and I can be and do whatever I want to, but, but we're conditioned in so many different ways. Uh, I grew up in a, in a, in a middle-class family, an academic family. My parents uh, were both 
working at the university where I work now. My mother was a professor. My father was an administrator. Uh, our what family. Did, what did your mother teach? Uh, gender studies. Uh -huh. um, my family is, is similar in one way to Kamalaksha's family. My background is a little bit similar to Kamalaksha's. We both belong to, to the Swedish speaking minority of Finland. Uh, which basically means that uh, we have kind of privileged backgrounds. I have most of the privileged points that you can kind of collect in this world at this particular historical phase. I'm a, I'm a, a white, uh, hetero male uh, growing up in a family where I, I, my parents were not particularly rich, but I never had to worry about uh, whether somebody is uh, how to pay the rent or or things like that, I was I, given the chance to when I went to study to basically study what, whatever I wanted. Uh, religious studies not being a, a big cash cow or anything like that. So so that's a huge privilege that I had this kind of freedom to to basically do what I wanted. Uh, and uh, something that in in many ways was was. Uh, very useful for my Krishna consciousness. Of course, Krishna consciousness isn't dependent on karma, but uh, uh, having having a good karma can make things uh, in some ways easier. Anyway, so I grew up in this middle-class family, academic family, which was also a very secular family. So religion wasn't really a part of, of my, my growing up, except that my grandmother was uh, a, a devout Christian. Uh, she doesn't. She didn't live here in the city. She lived in the countryside. My father came from the countryside. Mm -hmm. So, so in her place, I I got to kind of know Christianity in the sense that she would pray. She would teach me the evening prayer. Uh, she had these delightful illustrated Bible books with all these stories of Daniel and and David and Goliath and all these kind of mm -hmm. exciting stories. And somehow, even though I didn't grow up in a religious family, or maybe because of that, I had a, I had a religious interest even as a child. I was really interested in, mm -hmm. in, in learning about uh, uh, these kind of stories about gods and, and uh, saints and so on. Uh, I remember re to, getting bullied by my class friends for having read the Bible in school once, just because... I thought it was so fascinating with all these like strange persons living till they were a 900 year old or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, so I had this kind of interest as a, as a kid, uh, not very serious, but still some kind of interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, I came in contact with, with Krishna consciousness first, I think when I was like 16 or something like that, I, 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 I took a course uh, at at the school, and uh, and on a table somebody had forgotten the science of self-realization, which in Swedish, uh, which is my my mother tongue, and and the book was in Swedish. Uh, the the title of that book is translated into something like uh, the guidance of a master, in Mister Ledning, which was a really cool title. Who wouldn't like to have this kind of master, this kind of uh, 
a wise person who guides you. And the book itself, of course, is very attractive. There's all these uh, interviews with, with John Lennon and George Harrison is there and Prabhupada's letters. And it's such Scholars a good book. And yeah. Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I loved it. And, and I remember discussing it with my friends there and they were also like, yeah, that's interesting, karma. And then at the beginning of the book, like it's always in the BBT books, if you're interested in mm-hmm. the topic of this book, you can contact the secretary. So I actually did that. <clears throat> I don't know how many people actually do that, but I, I wrote down the address and, and, and I sent off a, a letter, a very silly letter, I had uh, big questions. I remember one of my questions was that you guys are against uh, intoxicants, but how come you're using incense? Because somehow I had this this impression that incense is some kind of drug or something. Finland was quite backwards. Uh (laughs) So so I I had that question. And I I think I also asked about kids. Do do your kids get to show choose that how they want to live their life and hmm. kind of like teenager questions mm-hmm. so i i got an, an answer then eventually it took quite some time but i got an answer and they mentioned that uh, that they gave some answers to the questions and then they said that actually we have a temple in your hometown and they gave the address uh, and i was a very kind of insecure shy kid so going to some place with people i didn't know uh, that was probably some kind of cult uh, was a very scary proposition but something there was something that was pulling me there so i went and checked out that place it was like a storefront temple not exactly downtown but still walking distance and uh I saw that this is the place they they had an advertisement for. They had a a Saturday lunch program. But I didn't dare go in. I I went home again. I went there a second time. Still couldn't muster up the courage to go in. But the third time I went in. And the first person who met me in the door said, Oh, you must be Mons Bru. (laughs) He must have some kind of mystical power. Until I realized that, of course, they had shared the letter that there's this this guy, this this boy, uh-huh. that interested. So uh, uh, I got interested in in Krishna consciousness, and and started visiting the temple fairly regular regularly. First with a friend of mine, who was also interested a little bit in in Eastern philosophy. He was into Buddhism for a time. But then more on my own. And I think, thinking back about it right now, uh, the thing that kind of struck me was, was two things. One was that uh, the place uh, felt like coming home in some way. Mm-hmm. Like I really liked the, I remember how warm and kind of like literally warm the place was. Mm-hmm. And uh, how nice the people were, but also that it was quite demanding. One of Mm -hmm. the first somebody asked me was that, so do you eat meat? One one brahmachari, he he popped a question like that. And I said, 
well, I, I live at home, so my mom is cooking and she she's sometimes making meat. You shouldn't eat meat. Really kind of blunt, heavy preaching like that, uh, which wasn't very nice. And this is something I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about since hearing Guru Nishta's wonderful interview, uh, mm -hmm. where he spoke a lot about how, how many of the kind of big advancements or, or big leaps forward in his spiritual life have been characterized by, by, by suffering in some way or anxiety or, or it's been difficult. Mm. For me, it's also like that. Many of the kind of big things in my life have been really difficult. And, sure. and uh, that was maybe the first thing. Like, oh, if I want to be in this group, I'm going to have to change my life. Mm -hmm. That's not an easy proposition if you're 16 and unsecure and, and, and kind of a wimp, which I still am. So, but I realized, okay, this is what I have to do. So, okay. So I told my mom and dad that I'm going to be a vegetarian. They, they thought it was a terrible idea. <laughs> my father thought that this is some kind of hippie stuff. That what this about nonviolence? You're always violent. You, even if you eat a, a cabbage, there's going to be some some insects <laughs> on it. And and my mom, who is a very kind of un uh, emo, un, un um, dramatical person, very kind of level-headed person, she became really emotional. And, oh, you're not going to eat my food anymore. <laughs> it was hard to, mm -hmm. to become a vegetarian as a kid, but uh, the 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 thing was that I, when I actually did that very quickly, uh, it was a big experience for me because I was a very, as I said, a very kind of insecure person, and suddenly I could do something which nobody supported. Being vegetarian in those days, like 90, 1990, was quite rare in Finland. Mm -hmm. but uh, when I decided I could do it and that gave me a lot of confidence self-confidence as a as a as a kid that I mm -hmm. I can do things my own way <laughs> so uh, uh, was your uh, you said you had a friend who was also interested for a little while did did you have any friends like who pursued it like you did no no not at all mm -hmm. yeah, so were you kind of on your own like being a vegetarian and yeah, I think there was a girl in my school who was vegetarian. I thought she was really flaky and and, and weird. So, so it was really kind of going into uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. And uh, afterwards, I've thought about this: that that what if I had met some some other group with kind of the similar kind of close knit uh, group that was welcoming of new members and this kind of feel of becoming a part of something bigger what if it had been like a neo-nazi group or something like mm -hmm. that i might have been attracted to that as well but uh, i did have this religious interest so mm -hmm. i don't think it was simply that this was the the persons i kind of first came across mm -hmm. because i did also like the fact that they were so strange the devotees mm -hmm. that they really had the, the courage to be different uh, walk around in bed sheets and and uh, and uh, eat different food, sing different songs, do everything completely differently, but have the courage to do that and also have the kind of uh, 
some kind of backing for it from from uh, scriptures and mm-hmm. it was super impressive when somebody could say a, a sanskrit verse from the gita i thought that was amazing mm-hmm. so so uh, for me so, becoming a so, devotee was also really sorry i've just finished this yeah, it was yeah. also really a big part of kind of uh, finding my own identity somehow uh-huh. well that's what i was going to i was going to say it, it sounds like you're kind of identifying these characteristics in the devotees you met that accompanied with um you know the religious aspect but it was also um like that confidence you talk about the um it was also bringing that out of you as as a shy person as a um kind of introverted kid um it sounds like meeting the devotees also their personalities kind of brought some of that out of you and a little um more confidence to be who you wanted to be on your own maybe yeah yeah definitely but i had this kind of feel from the beginning with the devotees that this part is a demanding part so the first Mm. thing was the vegetarianism this, the second thing after that was uh, giving up alcohol. I mean, I wasn't a junkie or, or anything like that, but, but alcohol was, was a big part of youth culture, of course, in, in those days as well. Mm-hmm. So, so giving that up, uh, I remember f- uh, being afraid of, if I stop, stop drinking, what will all my friends think? Will they, mm-hmm. they, will they still like me, basically? Well, they did. So that wasn't as as big thing as I thought it would be. But then when I had finished school and I was 18, uh, I realized that I there's no alternatives. I just need to join the temple, become a monk, and this will be my last life in this material world. And I had a, I had a, a, a big discussion with my parents. It was emotional. They hated the idea, but they were wise enough to realize that that let's not try to forbid him or anything. Let him, him, him try this thing and and uh, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. I remember leaving leaving their place, uh, crying and thinking that I will never see them again. I'm going to move into the monastery. Uh, a teenage boy with this kind of romantic idea of, of, of becoming a sannyasi or something. So, so I joined the temple. So was it like, do you feel like it was a pull of attraction um, towards what you'd had discovered or was it um, kind of the other way, like there weren't any prospects, um, you weren't interested in yet in pursuing like like some people join right after high school or like that, like I did, um, mm. because college was like, I, I don't see the point in going to college then. Um, mm. Well, no, it wasn't so much that. I think it was, it was more the, the pull of, of, of Krishna consciousness and the pull of, of the devotees. Mm-hmm. feel really that uh, uh, there's nothing else in this world uh-huh. that's worth doing a very kind of idealistic uh, uh, kind of, of feel uh, 
my 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 parents wanted me to study and 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 so on but i felt that why would i do that that's just wasting my time the real welfare welfare work that i can do is yes spreading krishna consciousness so after maybe a one or two weeks in the temple uh, and be i remember in the beginning being so wiped out by with tiredness all the time just from <laughs> having to get up so early and falling asleep while doing the dishes and things like that uh, i w- went out on book distribution in those days in in iskon finland there were basically two alternatives either you could be a book distributor or then you could be like in the support troops and uh uh-huh. You mean supporting the, support, the book distributors? Yeah, supporting the book distribution. And that really was like a third-class devotee. So so it was book distribution or then you're a loser, basically. So so I went on to book distribution. Uh, and uh, that was good for me. It was really good for me because yeah. it forced me to, to become more self-confident it also forced me to to read Prabhupada's books really carefully mm-hmm. uh, because it was so scary being out there on the streets. So when you got the, the time to kind of uh, sit down and read, I really read with, with devotion and kind of trying to get some solace from Prabhupada's books. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a good dis- book distributor. I think the best I ever did was like, 40 books or something in a day so so mm-hmm. I, I wasn't I wasn't very good but I did it for almost a year and uh, it was lots of, 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 of suffering lots of anxiety I was very also what you what they used to call fruitive like always obsessing about the numbers oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and and really praying please Nityananda let me distribute 18 books tomorrow and i'll get 100 this week it's kind of really <laughs> and they read out the scores after the morning yeah program. yeah yeah yeah. And... yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so, so there was lots of, of stupid things going on and and things that weren't very conducive for anybody's spiritual life i think but just the experience of of going out there on the on the street putting yourself kind of in mm-hmm. in, in harm's way in a way and and having to take shelter of the holy name and Prabhupada's books and devotee association as well mm-hmm. was very good because we had a we had a sankirtan party with a, a, a devotee who was a bit senior to to the rest of us and the rest of us were like 18 year old boys mm-hmm. and we were very serious it's amazing to think back about it <laughs> we we never as much as as spoke about about girls or anything like that we were really really serious hardly ever thought about things like that so we were like proper brahmacharis in that sense sure and that was a good experience mm-hmm. uh, it was also difficult like all being bossed around something i wasn't used to uh, not having your mom to clean up after you like these kind of simple things of growing up uh, was was quite good but in the in the in the long run, I also realized that this temple life, even though I really had that idea that that I remember coming to the temple and paying dandavats, and another brahmachari had said that when he joined, he said Om Tat Sat, 
and I thought, wow, that's cool. But now I'm like offering myself and, and this is like, like offering the self. So I, I did the same. But eventually I realized that maybe I'm not really ready for that. I had so many other things that I was interested in. I wanted to, to, to learn more and, and, and study, mm-hmm. maybe learn Sanskrit and so on. So, so after about... So when, did those, when did those kind of desires come up? They came out already during that first first year in the temple. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, if I think about which am I of the four persons who turned to Krishna, I guess I'm the inquisitive person. Mm-hmm. So so I'm I'm a very curious person. I, I like to to learn and, and study new things, uh, learn something new every day. So after a while, being in the temple started to feel kind of restrictive and and especially in those days uh, iskon finland was very it was good in many ways but it was also quite anti-intellectual there was not much mm-hmm. emphasis on, on on study and things like that sure so, so i blooped basically mm-hmm. I, I i left the temple i didn't bloop in the sense of of like uh, starting to break the principles or, or things like that but uh, I blooped in the sense that I I I, I left left the temple just suddenly, and uh, decided that this is this is too much for me, and that was that was quite a traumatic experience because uh, I had joined the temple with this idea that I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life, and and when I left sure. the temple, I had the feeling that I failed. Mm-hmm. This is what I wanted to do, but I couldn't do it. Yeah, and I remember sometimes seeing the in the in the street where I was walking somewhere, uh, like our Sankirtan van was coming and it's going to pick me up, which was a terrible idea, but also something that would be wonderful. And then I realized, oh, it's just a car that looks the same. So, so these kind of like, mm-hmm. like uh, flashbacks in a sense. But eventually, uh-huh. I I I reconciled myself to the idea that you can be a, a devotee of Krishna even though you don't live in the temple. Uh, I, for a very long time, I felt that's kind of a not as as good a devotee. Could but you say? Is- um, could you say how do you think you came upon that realization? Like, like I had similar experience, and I mean, it was torture, like inside for too long. Um, you know, to you know, I started out with this kind of idea. Yes, I'll be a pure devotee, like you know, really soon, it's just coming. And then as you kind of step down to your comfortable, normal practicing level, but that that time it's it's really difficult to kind of work through that in your mind. And do you have any insight on how you came to those realizations or? Well, I guess one thing is just to kind of get get uh, get used to the idea that uh, uh, maybe things can be done in a different way but another thing is i i did get uh, good help from from uh, senior devotees in iskon at that time mm-hmm. uh, i was aspiring to become a disciple of, of one one iskon guru eventually i i became his disciple and uh, and he told me that uh, why don't you study uh, religious mm-hmm. study Hmm. and uh, 
And I remember asking him that, but do you really want me to do that? Or, or are you just saying it to kind of make me feel better? Uh-huh. He said, do you trust me? Do you think I would ask you to do that if I didn't want you to do it? Uh-huh. And that was a, a realization for me that, wow, that you can actually please Guru and Goranga in other ways than going out on Sankirtan. That's so, nice. So that, that was a good thing. So I started studying uh, uh, religious studies. Then, then the, the same person uh, suggested that I should learn also Sanskrit. So I thought, yeah, I actually wanted to do that for a long time. So why not? So I, I studied that as well. Uh, um, Had you searched for a guru or a, a or a teacher like while you were living in the temple, or was this a relationship that developed after? after it developed you... already in the temple. Uh-huh. The, the the main guru of of, uh, of this area of Iskon was Harikesh Swami in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was another one. He, his name was was Suhotra Swami. Mm-hmm. Uh, he passed away afterward afterwards. Uh, but uh, uh, for 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 several years he was a really good good teacher to me and and uh, and uh, uh, we we didn't have a very close relationship but he was he was quite 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 good in many ways and and he mm-hmm. I really felt that he cared for me. Mm-hmm. I had a, an experience when I had uh, I had my first girlfriend. Uh, I was maybe like twenty four or something and it was a short relationship. It ended really badly I was the bad guy I I basically dumped her because I got scared that I, do I need to get married now and I don't feel I'm mm-hmm. ready and so on and uh, and she told him about this mm-hmm. that, uh, do you know that your disciple has been hanging out with me and now he dumped me and so she kind of snitched on me uh, which wasn't so nice at the moment, but it was really good because, of course, then he got, gave me the sauce for, for it. But then when he realized that I was also suffering, uh, he got worried and he even sent one of his disciples to come and, and just check up on me. I was, I was studying in Sweden at that time. So he sent one disciple from Finland to Sweden to just check up on how is this Mons doing. So that yes. was really nice of him. And I'm, I'm eternally thankful for that. But eventually, uh, studying at the university, uh, of course, brought all kinds of challenges to me as well. Uh, I, I had In ISKCON, I had gotten used to, to a very kind of literalist view uh-huh. on, on the scriptures and, and on science, uh, the moon landing, and all of these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then getting more familiar with uh, a completely different epistemology, a completely different way of, of viewing knowledge and where you get knowledge uh, was a big challenge. Suddenly we have people here saying that the Srimad Bhagavatam is maybe just like 800 years old, it's not 5,000 years old. and mm-hmm. uh, So kind of figuring out how to to to, to kind of understand all of these things to, mm-hmm. took some time and, and some some effort and and I, I was helped there with by by some uh, uh, senior devotees in in Sweden in particular there, there's one Prabhupada disciple called Ajit Das mm-hmm. who helped me a lot and another one called Prapujak Das 
So mm. I got help from these and, and other devotees. Uh, I also got uh, to know about Guru Maharaj uh, about that time. Mm -hmm. uh, and here I'm thankful to Nishinga Maharaj because he had written a, a blurb. This was the day of the, the, the Sangha CDs or the, the Audarya. Mm -hmm. I forget what they were called. Audarya Audio. audio. Yeah, was Audarya Audio. Mm -hmm. And, and he had written a, a blurb for an advertisement that Swami B.B. Tripurari represents the authentic uh, Gaudiya tradition. He's the foremost exponent of the authentic Gaudiya tradition in the Western world or something like that. It sounded really nice. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I sent over, I forget how much, and got two CDs, kind of an a introduction. Mm -hmm. One of those CDs was a Gita class, and it was nice, but it wasn't, to be honest, in my estimation at that time, that special. It was maybe like from the second chapter or something. Mm -hmm. But the other lecture really blew my mind completely, and that was on, on Vishnu Priya uh -huh. and Mahaprabhu Sanyas. And uh, what really blew me away was, first of all, the emphasis on Gaur Leela, which I'd never really seen before. Uh, but mostly it was the way in which Guru Maharaj combined like a deep Siddhantic grounding with so much bhava, with so mm -hmm. much feeling for this Leela. Mm -hmm. And I remember listening to that class again and again and again, just to kind of get this mix of bhava and tattva, which I had never experienced anywhere mm -hmm. else. <clears throat> Uh, all of this kind of uh, uh, interest in trying to understand Gaudiya Vaishnavism in new ways and getting inspired by Bhaktivinoda Thakur's Bhagavad speech and, and then mm -hmm. Guru Maharaj. Mm -hmm. Really good for me, but it also led me into trouble with ISKCON authorities. Uh, I was wondering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my, my ISKCON guru, he didn't appreciate any of this uh -huh. at all. Uh, so, so we kind of grew apart, I guess you could say. Also because I was, uh, I was more stupid then than I am now, and and kind of it was difficult for me to appreciate different perspectives. Sure. So, so I, I thought I'd figured things out, and and uh, the other people were backwards and fundamentalists and so on. So, mm -hmm. so it was definitely also my fault that this relationship didn't didn't last. But uh, uh, I got to, 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 to know uh, Guru Maharaj the more through these, these CDs. And I, I signed up as a subscriber and I also got the old ones. So I think I have a, I still have the, like the full collection of the Audaria audio. Yeah, CD. we have a bunch of those also. <laughs> <laughs> They're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I met him for the first time in Copenhagen. Guru Maharaj in maybe, oh. I forget when that was, maybe 2003 or something like that. He was traveling with Shamsundar. Shamsundar mm -hmm. was, was mm -hmm. Brahmachari in, in, in Saffron those days. I think they were coming back from India and they were visiting a, a disciple of Guru Maharaj's in, in Denmark. So I went over there with one Finnish friend of mine who eventually got initiated as Madhu Mangaldas. And uh, 
and uh-huh. met Guru Maharaj. And that was that was really very interesting. I remember he gave a, a really good talk there in Copenhagen about, about the gopis and how when Krishna plays his flute, they all came and they didn't think about family or mm-hmm. organizations or anything like that. And they found their group there when they got there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to be honest, I wasn't I wasn't completely convinced by Guru Maharaj yet at that time. Mm-hmm. I think I maybe I've mentioned it somewhere else, but I thought Guru Maharaj was really puffed up <laughs> because I hadn't I hadn't really seen a person with the same kind of confidence that he has. Uh-huh. I didn't re- realize what the difference between being puffed up and being confident really is. Yeah. Uh, and this is partly because of my background as well. Finns are very scared of being of coming across as being arrogant. So we are very kind of like, uh, yeah, I don't know if I know this. Uh, I'm maybe not so good. This is kind of the the, the style mm-hmm. here. So somebody who's very kind of, this is how it is. Just because he knows how it is. Mm-hmm. Come across as somebody who's proud to a Finnish person's eyes. So I didn't, I wasn't completely convinced by, by him as a person yet, but I, I very much liked his teachings. Uh, more or less at the same time, or a little bit before actually, I'd also become influenced by another Gaudiya Vaishnava saint, uh, who was Lagopananda Bon Maharaj in, in mm-hmm. Vrindavan. When I did my, my MA thesis in, in religious studies, I, I wrote it on, on Bon Maharaj, Prabhupada's godbrother Bon Maharaj. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I did my research for that, I got to know his disciples as well, including uh, the present Acharya, Gopananda Bon Maharaj. And, uh, and he's an extremely sweet Vaishnava and, uh, and a wonderful sadhu. And I was, for some time, I was thinking also whether I should take initiation from him. And Guru Maharaj actually told me afterwards he was expecting me to do that. Mm-hmm. But eventually I decided that, that no, I want to, to, to have a guru who also understands my kind of material background in a way. Like Guru Maharaj, sometimes he gives this example from the Hari Bhakti Vilas that mm-hmm. a Kshatriya guru can have Kshatriya disciples and so on. And it does make sense in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gopananda Bona Maharaj, he is a wonderful sadhu, but he lives in a world that is quite different from, from uh, the world I live in. Guru Maharaj, uh, and his Sangha, of course, all, all of you, uh, are the perfect fit for me. So I, I understood that and, and eventually got initiated by Guru Maharaj in, in Kamalaksha's house in, in Finland one winter evening. And yeah. from having been Brigu Munidas, I became Brigu Padadas. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that was also a kind of a, a transition I, I, I remember I had my, my old Japa Mala that I received from my ISKCON guru. I, 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 I threw it in, the, in the, 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 the Borgo River next to where Kamalaksha lives. And, and when and I got initiated also, um, Gurash yeah. told me, take your Japa Mala and you could throw it in the river. And I was, I was like, that just seems so neat because I know there's these different ways to bury sacred items or... <laughs> yeah. Well. So, uh, yeah, 
I, I feel like I remember him saying um, at some point explaining your name. Can you say anything? Did he? Um, did he? Yes. Did he, yes. Did he say about your he, name, Bhagupad? He, he did. He gave a. I was the only one who got initiation that day. Mm -hmm. So so he gave an initiation lecture, which was kind of. I mean, it was for everybody, but he was particularly speaking to me, I felt, because he started out by, he had asked me that, that uh, can I change your name a little bit? And I said, yes, of course. So, so he gave a class and he started speaking about the, the, the Brigu Valley of the Taittiriya Upanishad. Mm -hmm. And I, I was thinking, Brigu Valley does, that's kind of a strange name. <laughs> and then he started to speak about uh, Parashuram, Brigupati. Could you explain what the Briguvali is? It's it's uh, it's one part of this Upanishad. It has like Shikshavali, Briguvali, and so on. Uh -huh. Basically means like a chapter or something. Mm -hmm. And then it started to speak about Brigupati, Parashuram, and I was still kind of feeling, yeah. And then he started to speak about the story when uh, when Brigu Muni was sent. Uh, as the representative of all the other gods to find out which god humans should worship. And, and he went to Brahma and made Brahma really upset with him. He went to Shiva and Shiva got even more upset. And then he came to Vishnu and he kicked Vishnu in the chest because he was sleeping. Wake up, old man. <laughs> and, and Vishnu said, oh, Brigumuni, you have come. I'm sorry, I was, I was napping. I hope you didn't hurt your foot on my my hard chest. <laughs> so we know this story, of course. But Brigupada means this footprint that Vishnu has on his chest since then. <laughs> and uh, and Guru Maharaj said that this footprint uh, it symbolizes Vishnu's tolerance, how he tolerates all of us. So similarly, he was telling to me similarly. You should always also cultivate this kind of tolerance to others. Yes. So I thought, wow, that's an amazing name. <laughs> uh, I I haven't maybe been been at that good at at that what he told me to do, but I've been trying at least. Beautiful. Um, I was interested. Do you want to say anything about um your first experience of going to India, because I know you've spent quite a bit of time um, there. Um, and you have a you have a different perspective than I think a lot of um, a lot of devotees like, well, at least my, in my experience of ISKCON, um, you know, we would go to India frequently, and then we would kind of have the ISKCON window, like a little bit of a bubble of an Indian experience, um, you know, in the temples, in Vrindavan, in Mayapur, which Mayapur is even more of a, a bubble. Um, but it sounds like, from what I've heard from you, um, it seems like you really went kind of in a different, um, in an academic pursuit, but I'm sure also a devotional pursuit, and you were kind of more free than I, than I ever was kind of exploring all of these things and learning so i was just interested if you um if you want to speak about that at all and mm. 
Yeah, I'm, the first times I went to India, maybe the first two times uh, was, was quite a bit like this, like you didn't describe, it's kind of in ISKCON protected version of India. But then later on, uh, especially when I started to do research, I, I got to know other, other Vaishnavas and that was hugely uh, eye-opening for me. In, in general, this is something I think that is really good for us when we we get to know uh, to to kind of see the world in new ways. Mm-hmm. This is also something that happened to me when I I, I left this con and and together with Kamalaksha uh, and Krishangi, who are my 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 good friends, as you know, and and they are wonderful people who are always full of ideas and enthusiasm for new projects. Mm-hmm. When I had been in Eskon, I had been the editor of of the, the kind of uh, we had a a newsletter so so i wanted to do something similar but something less restricted than that had been so we got this idea that let's make a a, a yoga journal like a, a finnish mm-hmm. yoga yoga mm-hmm. journal uh, and uh, that was really good because it forced us all of us to kind of learn how to speak about krishna consciousness without kind of the lingo like uh, not using words like the supreme personality of godhead or spiritual mm-hmm. planets or or mm-hmm. three modes of material nature like it's kind of language that we take for granted because we use it all the time like deities mm-hmm. nobody knows what a deity is unless they're a member of iscon mm-hmm. but we take those words for granted so having to learn to kind of use new kinds of languages new ways of explaining things uh, has been really good for me and and uh, getting to know Vaishnavas outside of of the kind of styles of Vaishnavas that I knew from before was also in the same way very very useful mm-hmm. uh, I I, uh, uh, I I I got married around uh, 2000 or so mm-hmm. uh, that marriage didn't work, go very well for me uh, I think it was still my, partly maybe my karma for, for having been such a jerk with my first girlfriend. But anyway, uh, my wife, uh, she got into to, to difficulties of her own and, and that was quite traumatic uh, for both of us. And eventually she, she, she left me and, 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 uh, and Radha. So, so we were on our own with, with Radha for, for some years, maybe four years or so. And that was a, being left like that was really difficult for me and, and very kind of traumatic in, way, in one way, yeah. kind of like it felt like my whole future was kind of destroyed, everything I'd thought about life, but also many of the things from the past felt like tainted and kind of, uh, I didn't know anymore what to kind of understand, think about life. But it also opened up for some new new, uh, possibilities. And one was that for a long time, I had this idea that I wanted to to spend some like proper time in India. So so I took Radha and uh, arranged for for, uh, a leave of absence from my work. So we went to India for six months. She was three at that time. And uh, so we stayed in in, in Calcutta for, for six months. I entered a house in a middle-class neighborhood. I was studying Bengali, uh, doing research, and 
and had a wonderful time uh, living in a place where there were no other white people. Uh, that is quite bold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to go as yeah. a, single, a single father with your three-year-old daughter to, yeah. to India. I, I, think I had grown a little bit after, since I'd been, been that shy little boy. Yeah. <laughs> that is not characteristic of... <laughs> oh, but it was it was really a good time, and uh, and uh, it it uh, made me appreciate so many things about Bengali culture that I'd already appreciated from before. I really feel that I have a connection with that culture from maybe a previous life. Mm-hmm. But it also made me me appreciate many things about Finnish culture that I hadn't seen so clearly before, like uh, what uh, uh, a democratic society we have here. Mm-hmm. For example, with our school system here is that we only have government schools and everybody goes to a school dependent not on how rich you are or anything like that, but depending on where you live. So, so you can have in the same class, you can have somebody whose parents are, are millionaires or somebody else whose parents are immigrants or like that, mm-hmm. which is very different from, from many other places in the world, including India. Where, where society is really kind of segregated on many different lines from mm-hmm. very early on. But we had a really nice time there in India. And, uh, and one of the best things in my life was, was then uh, a few years afterwards, when by Gurus and Goranga's grace, I had met Sargrahi and, and, uh, and started, like got a new chance in, in life in a way. Uh, we got the, we got the opportunity to do do the same uh, all three of us so mm-hmm. we were in the same place in Kolkata for another six months so so uh, uh, that's that's one of my play, favorite places people have a very kind of grim view of Kolkata often but it's actually a von- wonderful city and there's so many mm-hmm. so many nice Vaishnavs there it's 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 really easy to live a Vaishnav life there uh-huh. and uh, I lived a kind of comfortable life there that I've never left, lived anywhere else. We had a maid who came every morning and, and uh, there was a, a guy who did all the ironing and there was a f- boy who brought flowers for puja every morning. So we lived like, mm-hmm. like and, and ladies there. <laughs> but uh, again, this is the kind of, uh, luck or karma I've had in this life that I've had the opportunity to do to do things like this, and uh, uh, I feel that this opportunity or this privilege also uh, it also calls for for duties and and obligations, and I, I, I'm trying to to, to 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 share some of this 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 luck with with other devotees as well. I wrote in that little biography that, that uh, Arjuna Siddhi asked me to write that I've been practicing Krishna consciousness with little success. And that is very true. I'm not being humble or anything like that because I'm not a very humble person. I'm just being honest. Uh, if I compare myself with what I expected when I was 18, I would have been completely disappointed. <laughs> after 30 years, this guy is still such a materialist. But I do have one thing that I think is, I, I don't know if it's because of the sadhana or if it's because of something else. And that is that I like to serve devotees. So, so maybe that's 
something that can 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 help me in the in the future and and it is helping you we can we can we can see <laughs> um as we finish up it, it, do you think there's anything um what would you say is the most profound change that you have seen in yourself over the course of your devotional life taking to this path and are there any um, lessons you'd like to share <laughs> specifically well most of the things I've, I've i've learned as i maybe said already i've learned kind of by the school of hard knocks the, the best best teachings have been the most painful ones like being mm. being left alone with uh, with little daughter that was really really painful and i really hope it doesn't happen to anybody else but it taught me so many different things mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, uh, like for example when i was an 18 year old brahmachari in one way i was really krishna conscious but I was also a completely obnoxious person. Uh, I remember standing and doing dishes, washing the dishes, and the temple pujari, uh, a lady, she was walking past me with some offering plate or something, and the edge of her sari was touching the edge of my dhoti, and I was so upset in my mind about this terrible woman who dares touch my, my dhoti with the edge of her sari. <laughs> really puffed up and really obnoxious and and not a nice person and not a very nice person towards another Vaishnava. So I think failing in Krishna consciousness can really be good sometimes in the long run. I'm really happy that I didn't stay a Brahmachari any longer <laughs> that, uh, if that was the kind of result that it brought me. So so I think we shouldn't be scared of of uh, we shouldn't become too kind of depressed when we find out that things aren't going the, the way we were expecting. Uh, I, I trust that Krishna has a plan for all of us and, uh, and we can learn from these kind of... Uh, not, I'm not saying that we should go in for failing or now let's go out and break all the principles or anything like that. But sometimes these things can be good in the long run, even the, the sure. seen failures. Yeah, and... I think that's really what this series is is about, and I, I really have um, great appreciation for. I, I think it says a lot about your character as um, that you have this perspective um, to be able to look back on things that have happened in your life and learn. I mean, I mean, it's it says as we all get older, we you get some perspective and that's a, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but I really appreciate the looking back on these things and seeing there was actually some really good, good things that happened out of these difficulties and Arch in a city. And I, um, we talk about this all the time. This is why we love these interviews because it's so, um, confirming to hear people have these experiences and, we know that they've grown. I mean, they're here doing these interviews. Um, we're all practicing devotees, um, and people have grown through these um, through these struggles. And it's it's really a beautiful thing because um, nobody's perfect. That's that's pretty boring. Um, 
so yeah I, one so, thing i was thinking about when when kind of mentally preparing for this was that having heard many of the other interviews i i really like the series and and the the, the terrible struggles that many have gone through like uh, uh, Maharha and and other senior devotees and 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 others as well, uh, the kind of, of difficulties they've had. I was kind of feeling shy that can I even like mention my little things. But then I remember something that I heard the Dalai Lama say. I, I met him once and and uh, he was quite kind of an impressive person in his way. And he said one thing that I uh, that stuck with me and that was that when he went to school. Uh, as a little boy, when he had already been chosen to be the Dalai Lama, uh, he he went to school together or he, to class together with his brother, and uh, the teacher was a very strict disciplinarian. So he had a stick, and and whenever any of the the boys in the class would make a mis- make a mistake, he would beat them with the stick. But he actually had two sticks. He had one wooden stick for the ordinary boys. And then he had one gold plated wooden stick with which he would beat the Dalai Lama. But he said, golden stick or wooden stick, it hurt the same. So everybody's kind of experience of suffering is suffering. Even if somebody is saying that I suffered so much because I didn't get my bubble gum today, we might think that what a frivolous thing that is. But if that person is suffering, that's suffering. Suffering is suffering. You can't kind of quantify it. It's always sure. something objective. So yeah. thinking of that, I thought maybe I can share my things as well. Yeah, I was I was thinking along those lines, but that's a it's a beautiful um, example. So. Um, thank you very much for coming here um, and sharing your story. Um, we want to ask if, does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask Prabhupada Prabhu? No way. Sakirati and Shanti. <laughs> uh, just, just one sec. Let me, um, you can unmute Sakirati. Pranam. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. And um, I wanted to ask if you can say something about Sadbush, Sadbush, your date. Thank you. Yes, I would. I would love to say something about him. He he uh, he came into my life uh, uh, almost twenty six years ago. Uh, uh, I, I asked, I wasn't initiated at that time yet, but I was interested in, 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 uh, in, uh, in Murti Seva. I really had that interest already from before Krishna consciousness. I remember making some kind of clay image in, in, in school and then trying to dress it with paper or something like that. There's some, some kind of instinct for this. So I asked, uh, my my iskon guru that uh, could i could i uh, start worshiping uh, an image and he said yes you could worship uh, sharbuj and i had said that i was going going to to vrindavan for Rajmandal parikrama and he said in vrindavan you can get a sharbuj murti a small sharbuj murti and you can worship him 
So I went to, to Vrindavan, to Rajmandal Parikrama, and I was praying the whole Parikrama that, please, Krishna, come to my, my house. And, and you know how they say that the dust of Vrindavan fulfills all your, all your desires. So. so then afterwards, I went to, to, to one store in Loi Bazaar and asked for Shadburj Murti. And, uh, and they showed me a, a, a Murti. I, I will give you Darshan here. Yeah. And uh, he's he's about he's kind of big. He's like like this more or less. But I thought uh, Maharaj had said small, and he was small compared to a life size image. <laughs> Afterwards, I never saw such a big Sharbuj Murti anywhere in his car. But I thought he was small, so so. And he 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 wanted to come with me to Finland, so so I've been worshiping him since then, and uh, that's been one of the best things in my life. There's there's really two. I'm really bad at doing japa, for example. I do it every day, but the number of good rounds that I've done in my life is not many. It's probably like one a year or something. But there's two times when I focus, like properly focus. One is when I'm teaching, and the other one is when I'm I'm doing a Murti Seva, so so, nice. so uh, that's something that I'm I'm really uh, thankful to, and I'm really really thankful also to to Sarah Grahi because she's a wonderful uh, wife in so many ways, and and uh, also in in the worship of Sharbuj. Usually I'm the one who's doing the arati and things like that, but she's supporting me in so many different ways. Also when it comes to the worship of Sharbuj, so I'm really lucky like this was there a um particular attraction to this form or well uh so Hotraswami, who, who recommended me to worship sharbuj uh -huh. he liked sharbuj mm -hmm. so he made that recommendation and uh and uh i kind of took that that yeah this is this is uh -huh. a, a wonderful form and and eventually of course uh, I became very attached to him. Mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, I, I see him as, as Mahaprabhu in this particular form. And, uh, and uh, he, he, he has been very merciful to me in, 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 in many ways. I'm, I'm not a very kind of mystical person, which has been a, a source of grief for myself. I've always been envious of persons who, who have like beautiful visions and cry and Roll on the ground, it's <laughs> like that. I don't, I'm a boring person. But with Shadbuj, I've had some really like wonderful experiences. Beautiful. So, um, was that Akura Prabhu? Okay, um, I'm not sure if everybody is hearing correctly or. Okay, go for it. 
Yeah. yeah. We'll give you a minute. And maybe you can also repeat the questions because the people on Facebook and on YouTube, they want to hear what Akruda said. Okay. So the first question was about uh, going into university, what kind of mindset you should, should you have to kind of protect you in this new environment? And the second question was about Vaishnava marriage. Is it important that your partner is, uh, is also a Vaishnava or is it not so important? Show me with your hand, Akrura, then when you want me to start to answer. Okay. So first question about university. Uh, I think the main thing going into university or going into any kind of new uh, stage of life, especially if it's a challenging one, really is association. That was what helped me. Uh, before going to the university, one Prabhupada disciple told me that you have to go in there with a mission, that you have to ha kind of keep in your heart this mission that I'm going to smash those atheists. Uh, I realized already when he said it that that, that will not work for me. I'm I would not be able to smash anybody except maybe myself. So, so uh, more than that, I think the importance that it's important to have good association, people that you can speak with and kind of share your thoughts with, and also to have a good sadhana. I think this is something that we neglect sometimes. Uh, we might even think that it's more important to kind of know things that. As long as I kind of understand the tattva, then everything is fine. But uh, I actually think that it's more important that you do things the right way, that you have a, doesn't have to be like a five-hour sadhana every day, but like a steady sadhana that you do every single day with no breaks. Maybe not exactly the same things every day, but at least that you have this kind of grounding. Then you'll be able to, to also kind of go through changes in life. So that's what I would answer to the first question. To the second question, I would say, uh, since you're asking me, I can only speak from my own experience. Uh, I think it's extremely important that your, your partner is a Vaishnava uh, because this is something that is, uh, uh, that's a wonderful thing about Vaishnava marriage that uh, when two Vaishnavas uh, live together, uh, regardless of the, whether they are man and woman or, or man and man or whatever, uh, you have a chance to make your family life uh, really about Krishna's family. Like Bhaktivinoda is singing in that song, Krishna Shangshara Koro Chori Anachar. Do Krishna's family, Krishna Shangshar. Make your family about Krishna. So when you have a family where your spouse is a Vaishnava, your children are Vaishnavas, when you're serving your wife, which of course every husband is doing to the best of his understanding and ability, he's trying to serve his wife, uh, then you're serving a Vaishnava. And when the wife is serving the husband, as the wife also will do, uh, she's serving a Vaishnava. So it's not that you have your spiritual life and your family life and they are somehow different things. It's the same thing. You're serving the Vaishnava. 
it also makes it a very grave thing because when you're shouting at your wife and and uh, being mean with her, you're doing Vaishnava Parad. So, so it's a grave thing, but it's also a wonderful thing. Uh, and this is an important thing, I think. Uh, of course, you can be a devotee being uh, uh, married to a non-devotee, and there are super good examples of that as well. Uh, but it's much more difficult. I know Indians who, who, who have uh, like spouses that are non-devotees and like Vaishnava wives who cook uh, uh, non-vegetarian food for their non-Vaishnava husbands or, or vice versa. So you can have all kinds of situations and it can work probably super good as well. But from my own experience, I'm, I'm saying that I think that it's important that uh, uh, both uh, are Vaishnavas we can't expect the other person to be a pure Vaishnava if we are not ourselves. So, so um, that's too much to, to ask, but some kind of Vaishnava. That will be really important, I think. Yeah, wonderful. Is there anybody else? Uh, yeah, I'll put it here in the in the chat. And it looks like there is a um, maybe a question in Spanish in the in the chat. Yes, please. Mm. Uh, yes, that was important that, that he did. I would still have gone to university in the other way. If he hadn't said that, I'd still have done that. It was kind of the obvious choice for me. Uh, but uh, uh, I would probably not have been able to kind of as seamlessly connect that with Krishna consciousness as I did. I mean, I studied... I studied uh, um, religious studies, but I, I specialized in, in Vaishnavism very, very early on. And, and I have the, the very lucky situation now where I can, I can work and, and research Vaishnavism, like I'm doing this Hari Bhakti Vilasa project, and get paid for that. 
so so that's that's a wonderful thing and and it was partly uh, because of the the encouragement of of Sohotra Swami and then afterwards of course Guru Maharaj he's also been super encouraging uh, uh, to me to to do these kind of things and I've always felt that he 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 accepts me for for who I am how did I harmonize these two things well I think at first what I did was I thought that uh, well, I, I really resonated with what Guru Maharaj speaks about uh, uh, absolute and relative aspects of, of spirituality that that some things are relative and and the things that I couldn't kind of wrap my head around like Prabhupada's way of speaking about the moon landing or or I remember uh, wondering about the atoms of the of the third canto in the Srimad Bhagavatam. I could kind of think, well, this is a relative thing. Uh, I don't need to believe in this if I don't, if I can't. I can still be a devotee. Later on, I maybe changed my thinking a little bit on those things, uh, become, I think, a bit more humble and realizing that maybe I don't need to understand everything. Maybe some things are too big for this little Brigupad does. And I don't need to think that this is a relative thing that is uh, bound by time and place. And now we understand better how atoms work or something like that. But, but at that point, that was a, a necessary thing for me to kind of keep my faith in the big picture. Uh, so, so that was one thing, uh, uh, kind of differentiating between the relative and the absolute. And, and then later on, uh, realizing really that... Uh, uh, I don't need to understand everything. So I don't know if that helps, but but those those were some of the things. Jai, nice answer. So I, as far as I can tell, that's all of the questions, and it is getting a little bit late. Um, but. I wanted to thank you, um, Rugupad Prabhu, for coming here and giving us giving us your association. Thank you, um, Bakura Prabhu, for interpreting. Um, nice, also asking nice question. Um, thank you all for being here and giving all of your association. Um, and next week will be Brajasundari. And Archana City will be back. Haribo. Haribo, thank you for having me. Haribo, everybody. Dandavat. Hare Krishna.